Petri Dish is a product of Petri Dish Media, all rights reserved. All characters during the show, such as Donatella Iglesias, Jimmy Coconuts, and Tyler Jerry are copywritten and are satirical. Any similarity to any persons living or dead is completely coincidental. Petri Dish is a science comedy podcast and should not be used as medical advice. Do not get medical advice from a podcast. And therefore, as a free man... I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! I know the human being and science can coexist peacefully. This was their finest. Hey guys, welcome to Petri Dish. I'm Sean. I'm Nathan. And today is part two of all of that cancery talky talk. We've talked a lot about what cancer is, but now we got to talk about like risk factors, and then after that, how you can treat it. You doing an accent right now? What are you talking about? You got like a twang. Hey, don't get distracted. <laughs> Tell me about some risk factors, Sean. <laughs> okay, so as with last episode, this episode also has to do with human health, and because of that, we're going to toss in a disclaimer saying, don't listen to us. We are not medical professionals. Yeah, and in general, even if we were medical professionals, I feel like you shouldn't take medical advice from a podcast. Just don't do it. Mm, Soka. Yeah, just go into an actual doctor and be like, I think I got lumps or Mm, something. So doesn't it. You're doing Japanese? What are you talking about? (laughs) Okay, so yeah. (laughs) Gotta keep it light, Sean. I'm talking about cancer. Woo, okay. So let's get into it. Let's talk about these cancer risk factors. Okay, so some amount of cancer, 5 to 10% is linked to mutations that boomers gave to you. (laughs) No, just kidding. But that your parents gave to you. Right. So there are inherited mutations that you get through your family line, and there's about 5 to 10% of cancers that are linked to those kinds of mutations. So like uh, BRCA, BRCA mutations, and breast cancer are a really famous example. So there are the genetic ones, but like I said, that's actually kind of a minority of the cancers. Right. right? Most cancer comes because of bad life choices. (laughs) Like being out in the sun. (laughs) Sun exposure, for sure. Skin cancer, right? Diet, weight, physical activity. Tobacco use is a really big one, right? We were talking about that earlier. Smoking and everything can give you cancer. (laughs) Epstein-Barr. Yes, so... Viruses. Exposure to Epstein or Barr will get 100% risk factor of cancer. I don't know if people can get exposed to Epstein anymore. Dig him up. <laughs> so He's, um, He has a half-life of like 4,000 years. <laughs> certain viruses like hepatitis. And we talked about HPV in the last episode and that the HPV vaccine is very effective at combating cervical cancer. Right. right. Um, but yes, Epstein-Barr virus, the one that has somehow kept coming up in these episodes, is also linked to an increased incidence of stomach cancer and lymphomas. Don't get exposed to lead, radon, or asbestos. That's bad for you. 
Yes, asbestos is uh, definitely just directly physically bad for your lungs. Yeah, because all them them little shards. It's like a bunch of little shards that get all up in your your yeah, lungs, right? Yeah. What what's the one that's uh, asbestos? Uh, mesothelioma. They had like commercials for that. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Back when they had commercials. Yeah. That was a thing. Mesothelioma in a cup. <laughs> so there are definitely chemicals that we would call carcinogens or carcinogenic agents that are supposed to be able to increase your odds of getting cancer. Mm. One thing I will say about these carcinogens is that they're a little bit controversial because, for example, in the state of California, where you and I currently are, yes, a lot of things get labeled as carcinogens. Right. Right? And realistically, probably none of them will give you cancer. Yeah, like, sure, Del Taco uses carcinogenic meat, but if you walk into a Del Taco, you're not going to just get cancer. <laughs> oh, and yet the whole store is labeled as a carcinogen. We're, we're very lucky no one listens to us, because otherwise I feel like... None of that was true. That's not true. Excuse me. Everybody. Although it is interesting, because you do see on a lot of restaurants, right, you do see that, that sign that's like, something in here may cause cancer sometime. Right. I've walked by buildings being like, this building was made out of materials that maybe could give you cancer. Cancer. Which and is interesting because a lot of building materials, like the inside of walls, will, I mean, that's what asbestos used to be, is it right. used to be inside construction material. And it, it wasn't the people who just were in the building who usually got sick. It was during construction, asbestos would be in the air, and it's construction workers who had such high risk. Yes, yes. Or when you're tearing down a building or right. something like that. But also, for example, you can have lead paint, and lead is a carcinogen. Right. right? So, you know, there's a lot of but, places. Right. If you vape lead, it has nothing, it doesn't <laughs> hurt you at all. <laughs> God. Fuck. Just kidding. See, th this is why it was good that we did that fucking disclaimer, because now people can't get mad at us when they're vaping and they die. It would be terrible if our one 10-year-old listener was like, Oh, it <laughs> sounds great to vape! <laughs> little boy dies because of podcast. According to Spotify, we have zero listeners under the age of 17. That's good. That's, like, <laughs> very good. <laughs> okay, so I guess all I'm trying to say is that these tests that we do for carcinogens sometimes involve exposure levels that are really unreasonable compared to right. kind of like what people are generally going to get involved with. Yeah, wasn't red meat labeled as a carcinogen by like some hippies? Yeah, I think that's a thing too. I guess the main point is that because of uh, last episode, we talked about what can cause cancer and that it could just be a tissue level sort of cell society kind of thing. Right. You can imagine that there might be ways that different chemicals mixing together and lots of different parts from like modern life. Right. Could maybe make us a little bit more likely to get cancer. Right. But we're not going to stop living modern life. And I don't know if we'll ever get to disentangle all of those variables. Right. I remember I had a very modern moment in Korea where I got a burrito and wrapped it in a pizza and then ate that with yellowtail Shiraz. And that's like definitely carcinogenic. Like each of those individual things oh might not be too much cancer, but combined is like, I have like 10 more years to live because there's something in me that's growing. I think this time- Sometimes I can hear it. <laughs> like I in think the night. you're lucky that, I think the Australian wine actually combated the stomach cancer probably you true. gave yourself. All those Australian wines are like, why did come in? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I think you lucked out that time. But the main thing is, a lot of people will develop cancer sometime in their lives, but the earlier you catch it, the easier it is to stop it. Right. Right. And the deadliest of the cancers that are out there are ones that went unnoticed for too long. Right. But if you kind of look at risk factors and different cancers, you actually get percentages of like, how much can this cancer be explained by environmental shit. Right. Like air pollution. Right? Like prostate cancer deaths attributed to risk factors is only 4.4%. That's just people who put like 
hot cold patches on their ball sack. <laughs> right? So that's like four point four people get prostate cancer, put wet hot patches on their prostate. Mistake. Right. Where this contrasts to like lung cancer, which eighty four percent of it is explained by environmental factors. Basically smoking. Because of smoking, right. And cervical cancer, one hundred percent. Because of HPV. You should okay. get a vaccine for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, right? that's like 100% to zero, right? Right. But there are cancers that basically have nothing to do with environmental risk factors, okay? So malignant skin, melanoma is 100% sunlight exposure, mm-hmm. not like air pollutants or anything. Ah, I see. So we're not taking that as an environmental risk factor because there's just a certain amount of sun you're going to get. Sun is like its own extra category. And skin cancers are very, very highly correlated to sun exposure. But like Hodgkin lymphoma... For example, lymphoma is a cancer. It's one of those liquid cancers of your immune cells. Yeah. And that one, we can't find any relation to environmental risk factors. It seems to be about genetics. That's just because the Mountain Dew lobby has, like, stopped any CDC research. <laughs> yeah, you think so? That's yeah, yeah. Liquid cancer would definitely have a higher risk <laughs> oh, factor. Oh, boy. If, if, they hadn't, if the Mountain Dew hadn't shut down research. Uh, the, the dew has reared its ugly head in this episode, too, huh? Yeah, you contact <laughs> Lindsey Graham today, okay? He's Mountain Dew's main, main, main man of the pocket. Okay. Well, let's take a break here at the end of this risk factor part, and then in this next chunk, we're going to talk about how we can actually start treating cancer, both historically and the new sexy modern shit. Pew, pew, pew. You've signed up for Disney+. Plus. You've gone to Disneyland. You've taken your family to see Frozen 2. Now you can get Frozen 2 with Disney Cryogenics. For a low price of $30 a month, you'll not only get access to FX and Hulu, your corpse will be frozen with Walt Disney and the body of the original Mickey Mouse. Happily ever after. You'll never leave Disneyland. You're dead and frozen there with Disney Cryogenics. Sometimes, when you're at the end of a magical Disneyland adventure, you feel dead inside! Don't go! Stay! Frozen! Forever! With Disney Cryogenics! Guys, we're back with Petri Dish. Now we're talking about the good juice, okay? We're talking about how do you fight cancer? How do you bring the fight to them? They drew first blood. Yeah. <laughs> how do you get cancer? Or, I mean, slash. <laughs> we already talked about that. Yeah. How do we fight cancer? So, one of the first and most successful ways to fight cancer is to cut them out. Yeah, this is my favorite. Okay, surgery. You take that knife in there, and you just fucking cut out that lump of cells. Okay. Mm. It was and- like a summer camp I did once. <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah, it was in. It was outside the science center. You went to it too. I can't believe you don't remember this. But like, they would get volunteers who had cancer, and the kids would just open them up and try to cut out, you know, cancer cells. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> I think every child should have that education. Fund public education today, <laughs> and For- cut up people. <laughs> oh boy. Well, there you go. Fuck me. Okay, Oof. so we're gonna cut some tumors. Are there any nuances to this, or is it pretty straightforward? Cut out some tumors. Well, there are some nuances. They usually have to do with how much space around the tumor you try to cut. Right. Right. Like we had an uncle who passed away from cancer, and this was a big problem for him, right? Because his tumor was like on his adrenal gland. Right, yes. I think technically it wasn't a cancer, but it was a tumor. And yes, it is a question of, 
Because realistically, you don't want to cut any healthy tissue away, right? Mm. You want to try to save as much healthy tissue as possible. And you want to also make sure you get rid of all of those neoplastic cells, right? right? But there's that balancing act, especially in non-benign tumors, malignant tumors, where they're spreading out into the tissue around them. It's really hard to find the edge. Right. So in some cases, they're like, you know what? Like... We're going to go in and we're going to kind of liberally cut out a lot of healthy tissue also. But with a brain tumor, that's like a little dicey. Right. And so some tumors you can't operate on at all. They're ones you can cut out very easily, but other ones are in places where it's much more difficult to get access to. Right. They might be in your brain, for example, like you said. Rough. uh, Or they could be in a spot where you have a major blood vessel. And so you really can't cut it out without You nick the wrong thing. Exactly. You just fucking bleed out and die. Exactly. Right. Oh, and also, if the cancer has metastasized so if it's spread to other organs Hmm. sure maybe you can cut out the primary tumor but you're going to have other tumors in a whole bunch of organs that you can't really cut them all out you know if it's heavily metastasized so cutting out tumors is works you know sometimes but sometimes it's just too complicated and this also presumes that we're at a certain stage of cancer or can you really do this at any point Earlier stages. Right. Because in the later stages, it's spread to other organs. Right. Okay. And also, it's not effective in blood cancers because those are liquid neoplasms. Right. And in those ones, there's nothing to cut out. They're just cells floating around your bloodstream. Fight the Mountain Dew lobby today. (laughs) But listen, what that does mean is that sometimes you'll use things like radiation and chemotherapy. Okay, cool. To try to shrink the tumor. This is true modernity, right? This is post-World War II. We've learned the nuclear bomb. We're trying to find civilian uses. Let's modernly, Dr. Manhattan, blast those cells. Radiation, chemotherapy. Tell me about radiation. Yeah, so radiation is a way of using photons that are kind of excited up to this high level of energy, x-rays. And you can basically blast them in a relatively directed way to a certain part of your body. Okay. So, so I'm not talking about people standing there getting blasted all over their body with radiation. Although right? that did turn that dude into Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. 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 I think he it disintegrated also... and reformed into Dr. Manhattan, right? That's so metal. <laughs> but other people die from it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too much radiation can kill you. You know, you can hide in a refrigerator and survive. <laughs> Is this uh, Indiana Jones 4 reference? Best Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't you do it. Oh my God, Get Chris Okay. That actually does bring up something, though, which yeah. is kind of interesting. Uh, Amazing. Radiation also breaks DNA and can cause mutations. Right. So it's kind of a, it's a double-edged sword here, right? Yeah, and so you're kind of weighing the balance, right? On one hand, it can definitely kill things like cancer cells. It can make tumors shrink. But you're also irritating maybe nearby cells. Right. For example, there are some kids who have childhood cancers. Yes. Right? And so there's kind of a question of, ah, you know, because they have so much more life to live, theoretically, does that radiation increase their odds of getting another cancer later in life? Whereas if you're an older person, and like there's probably mutations all over you, really, unless you have one malignant area, you blast it with radiation, you have another 15 years, 10 years, that's probably not going to be the thing that kills you. Right, exactly, exactly. And so they've done some of these studies now. It's been long enough that we've been treating childhood cancers. That we've seen that these kids who are treated, when they survive, which is great, right? Obviously, it is good to treat cancer and to have getting to live the rest of their lives. But very often... The rest of their lives is like 20 years because when they're 35, they're going to develop a new cancer. Some of them remain kind of sick. Mm. And 
some of them can get cancer later in in sort of a nearby spot in their body. Interesting. So it's kind of like if you're like a kid in the exurbs of Chernobyl, you're just sickly now because you're kind of like a little bit irritated all over. Part of them kind of remaining sort of sick a lot of times is not just from radiation, it's from chemo also. Mm. I think one of the main points is there's a lot of childhood cancers we're getting better at treating and curing. Okay, So that's good. But a lot of these treatments and cures still damage the body. And so there's a lot more work to do to get better at it. Okay. Okay. Um, So we still have progress to make. But in any case, radiation does the same thing in the cancer cells that it kind of does when it's being naughty, right? It's breaking the DNA. It's damaging the DNA. Mm -hmm. And it forces the cells to make a decision about whether or not they're going to kill themselves because they have too much damage. Right. Or maybe stop dividing. Or... Sometimes they die, and the way that they die can trigger the attention of the immune system. Interesting, okay. So you'll end up having immune cells rush in and start killing cancer cells now. Okay. Okay. And usually cells that are dividing are the ones that are good targets for radiation. Okay, cool. And that's because when you're dividing really fast, you need to make new DNA. Yeah. Right? And so you notice if your DNA is fucked up. Right. Okay? And... That means that cancer cells, since they're dividing a lot, they're a good target for radiation. Right. And there's a lot of cells in your body that are less sensitive to radiation than cancer. Okay. An exception is like your bone marrow. Your bone marrow is a place where there's a lot of new cells getting made. It's very sensitive to radiation. So you can kill off people's bone marrows with radiation. Sometimes if you're not careful. And other times if they have a blood cancer, that is what you need to kill off. Is their bone marrow. Wow. And then they need to get a bone marrow transplant. Mm. So, you know, that's basically the way that radiation is working. And sometimes radiation is used in combination with other stuff. Okay. For example, radiation can shrink tumors to the point where maybe now the tumor is not close to a blood vessel. Now we can take it out. Right. Now you can do the surgery. So sometimes radiation is used before surgery. okay? Okay. Other times radiation is used in a mix with chemo. Because one will kind of weaken the cells, and then the other one will kill them, right? So it's kind of like a one-two punch situation. Well, tell me about chemo. Right, okay. So chemotherapy is using a bunch of different kinds of chemicals that are basically toxic. Tell me one sexy chemical that maybe the people know. Like, do we use Agent Orange? Or <laughs> do we use DDT? We use doxorubicin. Do you know that one? Uh, I do now. <laughs> Doxorubicin's a fun name. We use a uh, cisplatin and oxaliplatin. Those have platinum metal That's in them. Cool. At what point in the history of science did people think like, oh, we have these chemicals. Oh, they kill cells. Hey, maybe they can kill cancer cells. Yeah, that's a good question. I think what they found was that there were various kinds of treatments that seemed to help people survive for longer. Interesting. So they're kind of just throwing stuff at the wall at a certain point when cancer research was nascent. And then they figured out, oh, well, these things seem to help in some capacity. These toxic chemicals seem to kill cancer cells faster or at a superior rate than which they kill your normal body. Yeah, and a lot of times the way that they do that is they exploit the same thing that radiation does, which is that cancer cells divide a lot. Mm. So if you hit something, if you use some kind of chemical that hits dividing cells more, right, then you're more likely to hit the cancer more than the rest of your body. I mean, does that also hurt your ball cells? It can hurt a lot your of germ other areas. cells. Yeah, so sterility is something that can happen from chemotherapy. Dear God, you can also lose a lot of bone marrow, and right. <laughs> the shit is still toxic. So right, so you still damage your body. It gets filtered out by your kidneys or your liver. Right, and so people who have That's kidney problems, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> people who already have kidney problems or liver problems, like if you're a heavy drinker or something, okay, 
the second hit of chemo, it's like your liver's struggling. You've been drinking too much. Then you bring in chemo, that can cause liver failure. Jeez. Okay. That's a whole new bag of worms. Right. Or you can have kidney failure. Jesus. Right. I think like that, radiation, this is a double-edged sword. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had a family member who passed away from colorectal cancer. But the reason why they passed away, essentially, was because from a previous disease, they had been treated, but it kind of from weakened. A right. So yeah. callback. Yeah. And that treatment weakened their kidneys. Mm. And then the chemotherapy basically finished the kidneys off. Jesus. And so they were going to have to go on dialysis because their kidneys weren't working anymore. Right. And this was a tough son of a bitch. So he was like, I'm not doing dialysis. Yeah, so he hospiced it, right? Yeah. And I guess the main point being that this shit is damaging to your body. Mm. When you take it, it's going all over the place and a lot of organs get hit. Okay. Right. I see that there's over 100 chemo drugs, some off-label, some not. Are different drugs better for different cancers in different contexts? Yes, yes. So definitely there are some drugs that seem to work really, really well in certain cancers and then very poorly in others. Hmm. And it's not totally clear. It's probably a really complicated set of reasons. That's interesting. It kind of reminds me of early traditional Chinese pharmacology where they're just like had a bunch of roots. They're like, you know, like maybe this root helps. And then we take the chemical and then as we research it more and more over hundreds of years, we figure out the chemical compounds that are actually useful, extract them. And at this point, we're probably in an intermediary stage of chemotherapy research, right? We're like, we know a certain range of drugs help. We're not entirely sure why they help for certain cancers, but presumably we're getting closer to really figuring that out and really nailing down the relationships. Yeah, I think one of the things that we've really started to come into and kind of an age of understanding about cancer is the complexity of the tumor environment. The whole environmental level of analysis has been really useful for reframing cancer research. Right. In the past 20, 30 years, there's been this big resurgence of this idea that's actually much, much, much older, which is kind of an organism level right. or a system level for biology. It goes all the way back to Aristotle. Right. And so in this case, we had sort of reduced... I did not expect you to say right there. I, I agree. I mean, that's... that. It, no, no, no. I mean, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the issue is that we we became very reductionist... I think because of the success of particle physics. Okay. Right. So basically we were able to like, oh, what is this thing? Let's break it down to atoms. It's like, oh, atoms, let's break it down into quarks and shit, right? We were able to understand so much by breaking down that we started doing the same thing with biology. Right. We're, Where biology, there's still so much value to systems level analysis. Right. Because also, like, let's say you take a tumor. In that tumor, there are some cancer cells. But even out of the cancer cells, they're not all the same. Some of them have different mutations. Some of them are actively dividing. Some of them are quiet and not dividing. And sometimes the ones that aren't dividing are resistant to a drug. Whereas the ones that were dividing really fast, they're the ones the drugs are targeted toward. Interesting. And so you might kill off 99% of the cells in the cancer, but that 1% still can metastasize, can come back, mm. right? Um, and those ones were resistant to that chemo drug. But that's just cancer cells. So there's heterogeneity in the cancer cells, but in the tumor... It's not just cancer cells. You also have immune cells that are commonly in tumors, sometimes helping the tumor out, okay? You have the cells that were supposed to be in the area to begin with. Yeah. Some of those cells are still hanging out in the tumor, sending signals to the tumor that are getting sort of misappropriated. Jeez. So basically, it's a really diverse environment. Right. And because of that, sometimes drugs that in a Petri dish seem like they should work... Once they're actually in your body trying to get into the tumor, there's a lot of roadblocks in the way. Okay, so big picture then, 
theoretical physics really fucked his, the, the, <laughs> the flow of science over the 20th century, and it takes way too much resources. We've thrown away money to CERN. <laughs> we should stop worrying about that shit no. and care more about the things that actually matter for people. Oh, physicists are going to be so mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, they're already condescending to you. They talk to you, and you leave the party, and they're like, ha, ha, the biology. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, what are stars made out of? We are star children, all of us. <laughs> Yeah. Is this electron the same electron gone through space and time? Infinitely? Yeah. To, to theoretical physicists, biology is kind of like how economics is to everybody else. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, That's not real science. Yeah. So basically, we're still in an age where we're trying to really figure out how these chemotherapeutics work and what we can do to refine the process. Okay? Yeah. I mean, we went from the Bronze Age to the Iron Age to the Greco-Roman Age. And now we're in the Plastics Age. And the next age is the Post-Cancer Age. Yeah, okay. Somewhere well. in there's the axial age <laughs> and the development of new religion. Goddamn. Okay. So, look, I guess what I'm trying to say is that right now we have doctors that, for example, will use chemo drugs off-label or in combinations. Mm. And we need to arrest those doctors, right? Because off-label means illegal in all 50 states, right? No, it's not illegal. Well, actually, you know, th- joking, but what does off-label mean? Off-label means that that drug has been FDA-approved. For a particular purpose, because clinical trials have shown it to be effective, Mm. okay? And then maybe someone has taken that drug and they've started to do another clinical trial. Ah, I see. And they're like, oh, it looks like maybe it's also effective in breast cancer. Like, we only tried it. But that's not exactly what the FDA approved it for. Right. But, of course, doctors could still hypothetically prescribe it because, in general, the medication is available on the market. Yeah, and there's a lot of diversity here. So oncologists end up having this really big set of chemo drugs to use and sort of this colloquial knowledge of what seems to work well with certain kinds of patients Hmm. and certain kinds of cancers. It's like, oh, this patient's kind of older, so we can't give them a shitload of chemo because it might box their kidneys, et cetera, right? So there's this big leeway for oncologists, and I think a lot of that is empirical, Okay. right? So just kind of mix and match the experience that they gather through the process of their job and not rational which is to say, like, we don't know every single rule. Right. Well, I mean, that makes a lot of sense because we're still trying to really understand the mechanisms by which these drugs work. So you right. kind of just had to feel it out. Okay, guys, we're going to take a break. After this, we're going to move on to a lot of very interesting, kind of more experimental fields of dealing with cancer. The following is an actual advertisement. My name is Rob, and I'm host and guide to Songbirding, a new relaxed pace birding by ear podcast that takes you into the breeding territories of a number of bird species in Midwestern Ontario. You can find songbirding wherever you get your podcasts or visit songbirding.com. Okay, guys, we're back with Petri Dish. And we're about to explore a couple ways to treat cancer that are really interesting, and they seem like they rely on the other theory of cancer. As you guys maybe remember from the last episode, we had the somatic theory, where an individual cell, a lone wolf cell, joker, kind of goes whack, you know, and messes shit up. And then we have the 8chan theory of cancer, (laughs) where there's an environmental problem that the tethers of cells deconstruct, Bane comes into the city, Batman 3 (laughs) 
right, and causes a broader sense of anarchy. <laughs> right, yeah, that, that was a pretty good sum up of the two different ideas there. Wait, remind me the actual name of the second theory, though? Yeah, tissue organization field theory, and or so, Toft. And these kind of more experimental treatments are, you are based off of that, basically, right? Right, so if you think, okay, it takes a village to raise a cancer, you know, <laughs> if you have that idea, right. then what if we use drugs that target the village, and not specifically the cancer cells? Right. Bomb the whole village. <laughs> not what we're talking about. Uh, in a certain like Henry sense, Kissinger over here. <laughs> in a certain sense, uh, radiation therapy would be like bombing the village, right? Okay. Because you're, you're hitting that whole area, cancer in, cells and regular cells. This is more like targeted counterterrorism. Right, yeah, okay. So, for example... Although you should not push biological metaphors into society. <laughs> yes, we, we have learned our lesson. We're not racist. <laughs> Nathan keeps doing this naughty style. Hey, Sean puts it in the notes. Ooh, what are you saying? That's not true. He's a good I, man. Uh... Yeah, good man. <laughs> anyway, look. One of the ideas here is that the cells in the tumor, what's called the microenvironment, the neighborhood of the tumor, can do things that enable the cancer cells. Right. Right? And so maybe you can use drugs that won't even kill those cells necessarily, but can just alter their behavior so that they're not enablers anymore. So for example, there are immune cells in a lot of tumors, macrophages. And macrophages are normally the white blood cells that go around like eat bacteria and stuff like that. Like normally they are part of an active immune system. But tumor-associated macrophages normally actually have a pro-tumor job. <laughs> right. They will suppress other immune cells wow. that come into the neighborhood. Wow. And they will send signals to the cancer cells to tell the cancer cells to keep on growing. Dirty cops. <laughs> right. Now, what if we can use a drug that will go into those macrophages and instead kind of rejigger them so they turn into the pro-inflammatory, you know, kind of active tumor killing style of mm. cells and so now maybe they'll see kind of the the environment that they're in and then they'll flag down other immune cells they'll actually actively recruit immune cells to the neighborhood and tell them to attack the cancer cells okay awesome so we're gonna we're gonna put some guy in there and we're gonna train up we're gonna beef up these immune cells they're gonna do their jobs right right and so part of the issue or difficulty with using these therapies is it requires a lot of knowledge about who else is in the neighborhood, how they work, and also what kinds of drugs can get into the area. For example, there was a set of drugs that were made, I think in the 90s, that people thought were going to be like the next really great way to fight cancer. And what these drugs would do is they would stop blood vessels from growing into cancers. Why do we still have cancer? Right, exactly. Because this seemed like a great idea. It's like if you have a solid tumor somewhere, almost always in the course of that tumor, at some point it needs to get more blood. Okay. Because it's got all these cells dividing. They want more energy. They want more oxygen. So they'll call, they'll send signals over to a nearby blood vessel and kind of coax it to build a new highway of blood vessel over to it. Right. And now we have a freeway going to Santa Monica. We have a shootout with Russell Crowe and Guy Pierce against the bad guys. Kevin Spacey's already dead. Okay. <laughs> Probably for the best, really. And, <laughs> and all because of the corruption over one freeway. Yes. LA Confidential. Yes. <laughs> the, that works. <laughs> but the idea here is, okay, they were like, oh, all right. So we'll use these drugs that are anti-angiogenesis drugs. Drugs that stop you from building new blood vessels. And maybe that will kind of starve the cancer. It'll make it so that the tumors can't grow more. And what they found out is that those drugs work for a little bit. And then the tumor figures out some other kinds of shit and it'll keep on growing. Right. They start getting burners. <laughs> yeah. Right? Or something, you know. Damn. 
And so basically, you know, that's kind of another part of what's so challenging about cancer is because these are cells that are dividing and going through a survival of the fittest process. Right. It's not just some random ass bacteria coming into you. This is a an active and intelligent competitor. This is predator, dude. Well, these the, are velociraptors. These are eukaryotic cells with kind of the full suite of tools that mm. all of your other cells have. And they're going through a selection process, a really intense selection process where they're fighting to survive. And that does mean that if you put in a drug in there that's not enough to kill them, they might overcome it and become stronger. It's adapting. Yeah. Yes, it is. Evolution. Okay. And so one thing I'll say kind of in this segment is that when I was talking about chemotherapy or even these drugs that fight cancer more indirectly, there's this kind of extra challenge aspect to it, which is sort of no matter what you do, when you put a small molecule into your body, it can go to a lot of different places. Okay. So when you take aspirin or Tylenol, or if you take a chemotherapeutic, it can kind of go all over your body, even if the tumor is sort of in one spot. And so it would be much nicer, and this is something that scientists are working on, if we could deliver those drugs more to the tumor than to other places. Okay. So it's called targeted delivery. Okay, cool. All right. And so this is actually where there's a big intersection between nanotechnology and cancer research, is that the nanotechnology side is to build little delivery vehicles that are you're supposed to be able to put the cancer drugs into. Cool. And then those delivery vehicles make it so that that cancer drug ends up more in the tumor. Right. And less in like your kidneys or less in your heart. So basically, we're still using the same chemo drugs. We're just being a lot smarter about where we put them. Right. And so there are a couple of success stories on this end. One of the drugs I mentioned earlier was doxorubicin. That's a kind of classic chemotherapeutic. And what they found is if they put that into nanoparticles, there's way less heart toxicity. Right. So doxorubicin, one of the main issues with it is like, yeah, it could help you fight the cancer, but if you use too much, your heart will die. Wow. And in nanoparticle form, it avoids the heart. It doesn't go there and affect those cells. So you actually see way less heart damage. So you could say nanoparticles are disrupting traditional chemotherapy. (laughs) That's why you need to make sure that you sign up for Amazon Prime and get your free delivery of chemotherapy (laughs) and write to your congressman, make sure we never break up Amazon Prime, who's delivering you (laughs) the most disruptive chemotherapy. You know, maybe next time save it until they give us money first. Amazon nanoparticles. (laughs) They're not. Oh, boy. You know, they actually just get cancer liquid straight out of Jeff Bezos' huge fucking head. Oh, my God. <laughs> Whose side are you on? Are you trying to get their sponsorship or not? I'm slippery. <laughs> I'm Jimmy Coconuts! You can't read me. Okay, I'm all over the place. <laughs> swing, swing like a butterfly, swing like a bee. What? Oh, my God. You're very naughty. Okay. All right, look. So then the next thing I'll say, the next kind of really big, active, exciting new area in cancer therapeutics is activating the immune system. How are we disrupting activation of immune system, Sean? You and this disrupting thing. You're so naughty. Is this a tech bro thing? That's where you got it? Hey, man. Hey, all tech bros out there. <laughs> Disruption. <laughs> the Dude, I'm Nady, I'm Nady uh, A. All right, all right, right here all right. is Shawnee Big D. All right. Hey. So, so in your body, there's probably cells that go haywire every single day. Okay, and a lot of them do not ever turn into cancer. Right, this is like a lot of office workers in the 1950s. One of them hops out of a building like (laughs) every two weeks, right? 
I guess so. That was the past, so it's okay for me to say that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Everyone okay. should watch Billy Wilder's The Apartment. You'll see the ennui of uh, 50s managerial class. Yeah, it was dark. It was dark. It's a great movie. Most of your cells don't turn into cancer, and a lot of that is because they get taken out either by neighboring cells or your immune system. Yeah, or they're even persuaded to kill themselves, which we talked about in a previous episode. Right. A lot of times cells being taken out by somebody is actually being told to kill themselves. It's interesting how like stoic theory and philosophy is clearly the truest because (laughs) it's literally how your cells behave. Is there like we must work as part of the community and work for the good of all. And if I'm not useful, kill yourself. Yeah, actually. So one of the things that happens in a lot of cancers is they will get mutations that break the kill yourself pathway. Fuck. So they'll get signals from other cells being like, seriously, they'll kill yourself. And those cancer cells will be like, I can't hear you. Sounds like nothing to me. I'm not going to kill myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jeez, dude. What a metal place, the human body. Yes. It's pretty gnarly. Osmosis Jones should have been more like Mad Max. Yeah. With Will Smith on a motorcycle. I would watch that. Yeah. For sure. That would be awesome. So look, cells can act weird and get kind of crazy for a lot of different reasons, right? Maybe they got infected by Epstein-Barr or something Mm. like that, right? Bad. And so immune cells are used to looking for cells that have kind of gotten weird, including ones that have been infected with a virus, Right. right? So immune cells are very used to this kind of cleanup function. They go around, they try to keep things cool. They're constables. Yes. Yeah. Now, as I mentioned in the last segment, if you get cancer, a lot of times in that environment, you still have immune cells, but now the immune cells are misbehaving. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. Immune cells are misbehaving. (laughs) And so... Oh, wait, no, no. It goes, ain't misbehaving. Right? Like, (laughs) Stacey, what's the melody from... Uh, We'll figure it out later. (laughs) It's a great song. It's a classic. Old show tune. So look. (laughs) So sometimes you'll have immune cells in the microenvironment, but they're not behaving right. right. Okay. Other times you have the tumor microenvironment completely exclude immune cells. It'll put out signals that say, like, oh, nothing to see here, guys. Like, move along. I almost wonder if, like, people getting sicker overall from cancer is not necessarily the treatment, but it's the psychic damage that is done from your body soul being turned against itself. It's like your whole life force is diminished by just the raw tragedy of cell against cell. Uh, Man against man. (laughs) It's so mournful. (laughs) Um, That's just one theory of cancer. Yeah, there you go. And so I I feel, and that's why one of the treatments is prayer. (laughs) Get this guy a fucking Nobel Prize. (laughs) All right. So look, the situation is cancer has a lot of different ways of getting around your immune system. So not only can they completely exclude them from the area, but also sometimes immune cells will come in, start doing their job, and then a cancer cell will turn off that immune cell. Damn. And in all of these cases, all of these different ways that cancer can fuck with your immune system are ways that we could potentially go in and turn that around. Right. right? Immunologist specialists like you, what is your scientific field? Yeah, so in undergrad, my specialty within biology was immunology. In my undergrad, my specialty was Hindu law. What were the studies you published about? They're like nanoparticles being used to yeah, fuck to, with protein to, coatings? to affect the immune system. Yeah, Okay, yeah, yeah. cool. So this is like your jam. Yes. Space this, jam. This topic is actually very, very specifically what I do right now. Space jam on space toast. <laughs> Marmalade. So the idea... The, the <laughs> England. God damn it! <laughs> 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 So uh, one of the ideas right now is like, can we turn what are called immunologically cold tumors hot? Nice. Can we get them hot? 
Yes. Okay. And there's a lot of things that are doing that. One of them is called car T cells. Have you heard about CAR T cells? Yeah, I work at the airport, so there's a lot of Cartier cell like uh, <laughs> there's a lot of Cartier watches being sold in my place. God, fuck, I don't like them, but Stacy likes them. Sure, sure. So yeah. I have to say, for a long it's time, the finer things in life. CAR T cells are genetically modified T cells. T T cells are a kind of immune cell. Well, the model CAR T makes <laughs> people want to go, want to get, want to get, want to get up and go. As a music fan, <laughs> I memorize the whole thing. I'm pretty talented. Ooh, man, you hire me. Yeah. Your dum-dum levels are, like, way up there, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. Keep going. <laughs> All right. T-cells are a kind of immune cell. They're really important for fighting cancer. Okay? T-cells are part of your adaptive immune system. Yeah. We'll have an episode where we talk about them more. We're going to have, like, a fucking three-parter on the immune system. Right. But these T-cells, because they're supposed to be able to fight your cancers, what scientists have done is they'll do a treatment right now. You can get this treatment where they will take your blood, get the T-cells out of it, and then they'll take those T cells and in a dish, they'll genetically modify them so that they now have a little protein sticking out of their surface that can find and get activated when they're nearby a cancer cell. So it's like a cancer-specific receptor on their surface. Who gets to have this? Rich people. <laughs> uh, pe- people who can pay for it because this it is, is extremely this is, expensive. This is treatment stratification right here. It's a, it's a really hard thing because so there, there's a few kinds of cancer that it works well on Mm -hmm. right now but it is expensive hard to do it involves people's own cells right it gets shipped to a company they need to work on it really quick they need to have a fast turnaround time because these people are actively dying of cancer right (laughs) so we like can't take like fucking the time it's not funny (laughs) (laughs) so you know that's a lot of work that's a lot of work that goes in and because it's such a fast turnaround time these people have to be specialists at their job it doesn't scale very well because there's just so much that has to go into it so fast right and so while this is an extremely good idea, and it's one that, you know, it has clinical success. It, people have been saved by this. It's the future, but there's some stuff we got to figure out. Right. And so there's some people who are already looking at, like, what's sort of the next stage of this? Right. So for some people, they're like, is there a way that we can genetically modify the T-cells in your body? Mm. Like, what if we didn't have to take them out and send them to a company and do all that? Yeah. Can how can just- you biohack your own T-cells. Right. So that is something that's out there. Another idea is, what if we don't really need to genetically modify the T-cells? What if we just need to give them some chemical signals? Right. Just a few chemicals to maybe tweak them. Yeah, you send in immune cell Alec Baldwin. A-B-K. Always be killing <laughs> C-cancer. Yeah, right. yeah. Some some kind of inspirational you know, prep talk. Yeah, exactly. It's a little inspirational. It's intimidating, really. <laughs> sure. I mean, I don't, I don't care how you... We're all going to fucking die if you don't start <laughs> killing this tumor, you idiots. So, in sort of that kind of more experimental range, that's actually where my work is. Okay, cool. Is I'm using nanoparticles to try to deliver drugs into the tumor area, but not to the cancer cells. I'm trying to deliver those drugs to T-cells. Cool. To tell the T-cells to wake up and fight the cancer. When does this turn into profit? Okay. Maybe never. I mean, we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> so I need this podcast, guys. Sign up for Patreon. Okay. <laughs> Sean needs a new car, baby. So part of the situation, maybe this is a good time to talk about it, is that there are clinical studies and preclinical studies. And clinical studies mean we're doing stuff in humans. Cool. All right. So that's like we're trying out drugs in humans. And there are nanoparticle treatments that we're trying out in humans. There are immune system treatments that we're trying out in humans. That's you know. Cool. So this stuff is out there. 
The stuff that I'm doing, so some of the things I'm talking about are preclinical. So that's R&D and mice and stuff like that. Right, yeah. So I do a lot of work in mice and everything. And, you know, maybe someday some of that stuff, if it's successful enough in mice, maybe someday we'll get to do clinical trials too. Okay. So it's just that there's a whole bunch of stuff out there. There's a lot of really active research. And I guess this is a good time as we're kind of closing this episode up. One thing I want to say is... There's this disconnect between the cancer research that's happening, especially preclinical, my kind of stuff, and communication to the public. Right. Okay. Because when I do a study and I publish a paper, the university might want to put out a press release being like, hey, this dude did this really cool thing in mice. And sometimes that ends up turning into an article that gets written that's like, Dude cured cancer. Right. But cancer is so diverse. There's so many different types of cancers, different types of cells in different places in the body. Your research does not denote the wholesale curing of all cancer. Yeah. And even if I do happen to cure a cancer completely in mice. There's still the pancreas. (laughs) There's there's just... There's still humans. (laughs) Yeah. The human aspect, really, the difference between mice and human as cancer models it's a pretty big difference. There's important, yeah. Right. Okay, there are very real differences. We don't have mouse models that are so good that we can like really one to one know it's going to be successful in people. So I guess all this is to say that I hope people will go into reading the articles that maybe the New York Times is going to publish something being like this new big promising cancer treatment. I hope just in the back of your head, people will think, okay, like very cool. I'm glad people are working on it. But that might not mean that it's in people yet or that it's going to ever work in people. Right. Like you should approach. I mean, this is, I think, true of science and health articles more broadly in mass media is you should approach them with a healthy skepticism. But the skepticism should be that whatever you're reading will be some panacea or some ecumenical cure. You should not have the skepticism of like, oh, these scientists are cooks. And this is (laughs) this is government funded DARPA CIA. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really great point, because I do, you know, also on the other side of it, want to say we have made progress. Okay, this is not a situation where we haven't saved lives. People's lives have been saved by the science that has happened over the past 10, 20 years. There have been new treatments that have come onto market and, and lives that have been able to be lived because we've treated their cancer right. the best cure to misinformation to disenchantment and to believing in stupid goofy shit is by having a bracketed and realistic expectation of scientific progress yeah so you know i think i think that wraps it up for cancer i want to thank you guys for listening and thank stacy song our sound lord i want to thank god and christ i <laughs> recently went to church and i found them and <laughs> And I've kind of been waiting for faith, and I'm glad that I finally came to it. (laughs) All right, and Brian Allen. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Brian Allen, who did our artwork. Please follow us and tweet at us, at Dish Podcast on Twitter. And uh, sign up for my new podcast, On the Road to Damascus, my personal (laughs) spiritual journey. That's not a real thing. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash PetriDish, and an email address, PetriDishPod at gmail.com. Thank you. Have a blessed day. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Just a little, just a little, just a little.